chapter 3, verse 12, and um, I, we, went, we just got done with Daniel, the book of Daniel, which is an interesting book, but I'm kind of glad we're done with it. Uh, it was a very difficult, very challenging uh, series to preach through, and I'm glad to be back in, in Paul. And um, So if you don't have a Bible, um, obviously you have your phones, you can use your Bible app, but also we have the passage right here on the screen so you can read along with me. Philippians 3, starting in verse 12. Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it, because I also have been taken hold by Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And all of you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have obtained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Verse 18. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are encouraged on, they are focused on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enabled him to subject everything to himself. Let's pray together. So, Lord, we are so thankful for this morning. Lord, we have so many things to praise you for, so many things to be thankful for. Lord, so many things to raise our hand up and just glorify your name. Lord, we are thankful, Lord, that we are all together. We thank you for new faces, new friends that we have gotten to meet this morning and hopefully get to know more or better as, we, as they come to this church, Lord, as you bring them into our family, into this small but humble and faithful church, Lord. And Lord, we um, we ask this morning for as USI students and U of E students move back uh, into campus, some for the first time, some are returning. Lord, we pray for them. I know it's a stressful uh, few days. It's a stressful week as they start classes on Monday. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would give them endurance. We pray that you would give them, um, Lord, a sense of calmness and a sense of rest during this time. Lord, we pray for students that are maybe Christians that have come to campus and this is the first time they've ever gone to church or got involved in a Christian organization about their parents' direction. Lord, we pray that you would guide them and give them wisdom, that they would meet the right people, Lord, people that are faithful to your word, people that are faithful to your church. Lord, we pray for Light Collective and 
college ministry, Lord, that we support, that we're associated with, that we're connected with, Lord, we pray, Lord, for the students, that, that as they uh, introduce new students to Life Collective, or they introduce it to re them to Redeemer, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would give these students opportunities, Lord, not only to preach the gospel, to invite them into their life. And Lord, we have so many things to pray for. We pray for relationships in this church, Lord, that need your prayers, they need, they need your strength, they need your love, they need your wisdom. Lord, we pray for Crossroads Christian Church. Lord, we pray for what's going on right now there. We obviously don't go to church there. We are disconnected. We only have heard rumors and gossip, Lord. And Lord, we pray for the leadership of that church. We pray for those who are hurt by what's going on. We pray, Lord, that you would that your love and, and that unity would be brought brought into that church. That your spirit, Lord, would bring unity and, and oneness and mind and spirit and love. We pray that you would do that, Lord. You have obviously, Lord, have uh, you have chosen that Crossroads would be a very prominent church in this city, in this area. That many people would come there. You use that church to disciple many people and bring many people to Christ. And Lord, we don't want your name to be shamed. We don't want your name to be accursed, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that you would be glorified and praised by what's going on there. We pray that you would give us a church like Redeemer, who's very young and very small, humility. be easy for us, Lord, to, to go, oh, look at all their mistakes, look what they have done, serves them right. Lord, pray that we would not have that spirit here. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us to, that you would teach us, Lord, through your word. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So like I said before, we're starting kind of a, a new series and talking about the mission statement of our church. And those of you who have never been here before, our mission statement is we exist to um, leave a legacy of faith by loving people and engaging our culture to the glory of God. That's our simple mission statement. That's why we exist. And so I want to talk about that. I want to talk about legacies and legacy of faith. Um, I see that we kind of see that in this passage. We also see the, the kind of the, the negative legacies. We see this as Paul shows that these enemies of the cross of Christ, and he shows these bad examples of the faith. He talks about it in a few verses there in verse 18 and 19. And um, I want to kind of start off there um, with this fallen condition that we see here that many... Many people, not just, just going outside of what Paul's saying, but many people that are either Christians or call themselves Christians or even institutions, churches, who are followers of Jesus Christ, set their minds on earthly things. And they forsake their calling and citizenship of heaven. They leave a legacy of destruction, pleasure, and shame. And, and that's what Paul is addressing here. And we, we're not new to this, right? We see this a lot. We see those who claim to be Christians, who claim to be followers of Christ, who actually all they care about themselves, and all they care about is their own pleasure and their own goals, not the goals of Christ. We see this with churches as well, who tend to be only focused on growth and their own glory and not the glory of Christ. This is not something we're new to. It's not something that we are not have some understanding of. If you have never thought of this, or you've never really... Uh, you thought all Christians were just perfect and good. That's just not true. A lot of churches may have Jesus Christ on their on their board or on their sign, but actually do far more. They do for, they do things far against Christ and are enemies of the cross of Christ. 
And I wanted to kind of talk about this, and this is kind of a touchy subject, I understand, and I'm not really sure where you are politically. I mean, how you throw politics in the mess, people tend to get roughed up a little bit. But, but I'm just, I'm just kind of stating some, some observations that the, the church in America has not always been perfect, especially when it comes to race. And if you want to make an argument that Christians in America have always been perfect when it comes to race, well, history is just against you. It's not always been that way. You know, there's a, Nelson Mandela said, no one is born hating another person because of the color of his, of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. Now, that sounds really good, but it's not really true, is it? People are born in this world sinful. There's original sin. We are not born in this world perfect. We are born in this world sinful. It is our condition, which then leads to racism and hate and these other um, kind of fruits of sin. John Piper said, in kind of response to this, that the fallen nature, this sinfulness, is essentially proud and selfish and self-exalting and resistant to God and what exalts God over all things. But the form that this pride and selfishness takes is learned. It is. It's largely shaped by our parents and our culture. Like I said, we enter in the world sinful, but sometimes our pride and our racism and our hate or these other things are something sometimes we learn in the home. Like our parents have these views or our father or mother have these views. And just by osmosis, we learn these things. We observe these things and we kind of think these are what opinions we should have. Frederick Douglass, who was a a black leader in the 1800s said, between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. So wide that to receive the one as good, pure, and holy is of necessary to reject the other as bad, corrupt, and wicked. To be the friend of the one is of necessity to be the enemy of the other. I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of this land, talking about America. And I can see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling the religion of this land Christianity. To be honest, the reason why I'm talking about this is because we have plenty of examples of those who claim to be Christ, Christians, who have, who have set really bad examples. They have set really bad legacies of the faith. Because what's happened is, is during the 1800s and before, and even during the 19th and the 20th century, people have chosen personal liberty and personal well-being over grace and love of Christ, right? Instead of showing love to someone who's different than you, they chose their own personal happiness. Thankfully, Christ did not choose his own personal happiness. Thankfully, he chose us and died on the cross for us and gave us grace. Too often, his church has chosen comfort, has chosen uh, their own well-being and liberty over sacrifice and the well-being of others. They've set bad examples. They've set, they set bad legacies of faith. And at this church, not to say we're perfect, but we want to set a good legacy of faith. And I think Paul is talking about how do you set a good le legacy of faith. Starting off, kind of point number one is striving or pursuing toward the ultimate prize. We see this in verses 12 through 16. You kind of see two different passages, 12 through 16 and then 17 through 21, as these two, um, two major points here. The striving towards this ultimate prize, and uh, number two, I'm just going to kind of say this now, but point number two is joining this legacy of faith that Paul talks about. 
So he, he starts off here, and, and, and I'm going to kind of go back to verse 8 through 11. I know for some of y'all who, who are students of Philippians, who love Philippians, love 8 through 11. So I'm going to go back to that in a little bit and not kind of shortchange you here by just starting in 12. Um, but in 12 here, we see that Paul's saying, not, not that I've already reached the goal. We really don't know what this goal is yet, or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it, this, this goal, this prize that he talks about later, because I also have been taken hold by Christ Jesus. So he's, he's striving towards this ultimate prize. He's pressing to seize it, he says. I press to seize it. I pursue to seize it. And he says, it's not right, I've already, I've not attained it yet. I haven't accomplished this. I haven't been made perfect yet. We see this in verse 12. He hasn't achieved the goal he's striving for. He's not arrived at perfection. He has no claim of some state of perfection. Heaven has not arrived for him. He's not in heaven. He's not experiencing uh, being with Christ. Sin continues to remain an issue for Paul. It's not like Paul's perfect. It's not like Paul has never sinned or he's like the alpha Christian and he does everything right. He hasn't attained that. Sin continues to remain an issue for Paul. He has not achieved this ultimate prize. He has already given reasons for himself for confidence in the flesh. And we see this in the beginning of chapter 3. He says that, I mean, based off uh, being born in the right family, uh, let, me, let me kind of get to this here. He says uh, in verse 3 of chapter 3, If we are to be the circumcision, the one who worships by the Spirit of God, boasts in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the faith, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has ground for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day. He was born in the right family. Someone who took him to the temple to be circumcised on the eighth day. He was a great student. He says he was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law and a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church. I mean, he was a great student. He was a part of the elite clubs of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was uh, a student of a great uh, rabbi. He was highly viewed by his peers. He had authority and power. I mean, he could order people to be killed. He could order people to be put in prison. People followed his authority and his commands. He was a very powerful person. He was very esteemed. He was looked upon as a Hebrew leader. And if, all, if, if any person had confidence in the flesh, Paul was one of those people. But even after he became a follower of Christ, when, when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, right? When he became uh, the, the, the missionary to the Gentiles, the, an apostle to the Gentiles. And this wasn't some title they gave out to everybody, right? An apostle was a select few people that God and Christ Jesus ordained and called a special ministry, a special mission. If anyone in the, in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, in the early church, had any reason to be confident in his flesh, to boast in anything, it was Paul. Someone who said, I have arrived, I have obtained all there is to obtain. Paul would be one of those people who could, you would kind of see, oh yeah, of all people, Paul has definitely arrived. But Paul said he hasn't arrived. He hasn't obtained the ultimate prize yet. He found churches. He was given an influential position in the early church. He wrote letters that were in the Bible. But yet he says he has not arrived. He has not obtained this ultimate prize. He says he presses to seize it. Verse 12 
kind of probably be, I still strive, I still press, I still pursue to, 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 to uh, grab this thing, this prize. Paul is pursuing, he's continuing to prove this long-cherished ambition to possess it, to make it his own. He's like an athlete who's trying to, to win a gold medal. He is practicing and striving and hungering for something. Like for me, when I was reading this, it's like, for some of you girls, maybe it's a little bit harder to understand, but it's like a boy pursuing a, little, a girl, right? It's this, like, love, like, you you're, you're love this girl, and you saw her at school, and you're, you're like, you, it's all you see is her, right? And, and everyone else just goes to dim, and everyone goes to blur about her, and you're just, everything's about her. Everything, your thoughts are about her, and you're just, you're trying to, how do I pursue her? How do I convince her of my love? That's kind of what Paul, I mean, he is, he is possessed, he is focused and disciplined on possessing this one thing, this one ambition. He even says that I press to seize this because I'm seized already by Christ Jesus. This is the grounding of his pursuit. Christ Jesus on the road to Damascus changes Paul's life. I mean, he, he changes Paul's direction in life. He's given a new direction, a new pursuit. Before, Paul's pursuit was, was the law. And also persecuting anyone who is against that law. But then Christ changes his direction, changes his pursuits. And Paul says in verse 13, I press towards the goal of the prize of the upper... Verse 14, I press towards the goal of the prize of the upper calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press towards this ultimate goal, this prize... He even says in verse 13, forgetting what lies behind. What is, what is behind? Behind is his achievements. We've already talked about it in, in verse chapter 3, 4, and that kind of section right there. The things that he's achieved. He even says in Romans 15, 19 through 24, but the power of the signs and wonders with the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to Spain, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have, I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped and all my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Basically, Paul's saying is, is that I'm not focused on what I've already accomplished. Yeah, the church is in all these different places. Yes, I've preached the gospel in all these regions, but that's in the past. I've already done that. I'm not focused on what I've already accomplished. I'm focusing on what lies ahead. He's not even focused on his sins or his failures. Not the times where he's made mistakes. There's times when we read about Paul, we're like, he must never have made mistakes. He most definitely made mistakes. He was a sinner through and through, just like us. And he's not even focused on his past. He's not focused on his sins. He's not focused on his struggles. He's only focused on his pursuit, his ambition. And what is this ambition? What is this prize? What is this goal that he is pressing towards? He's so committed to it. It says that he's stretching out. He's basically stretching out to get it. Like he's running with his arms out, trying to grab it. He's not worried about what's behind him. He's not worried about what's beside him. He's just stretching out to get the prize. He's so focused. 
like a runner running hard to the finish. Their only pursuit is the end, the finish line. They can care less who's running behind them. They're just trying to end and get to the end. Um, some of us, I don't know, several months ago, uh, so I ran track when I was in high school, and, and, and actually in middle school and elementary school. I ran from like third grade all the way to senior year of high school. And the, I would say the most exciting race um, in track and field is the 4x400 meter relay. If you don't know what that is, it's basically a four-man relay where each person does one lap around the track. So it's a mile-long relay, but each person runs one lap, and there's four legs. The problem with the 100-meter dash is it's so fast. I mean, it's like, bam, 10 seconds is done. With the 4 by 4 it's like four minutes long, and it is like a lot of action. It's usually the last race of the meet. So in the women's NCAA championship this year, the, literally the championship came down to the women's 4 by 400 meter relay. And basically USC and Purdue were like neck and neck. And whoever won that race was going to win the, win the national championship, right? So the last race of the meet, this is for the, all the marbles, right? Well, so they did the th first three laps. And on the, on the uh, USC was in fourth place and Purdue was in first place. And USC had an issue with the handoff. Like they were just stumbling. Like they didn't dropped the baton, but there was a stumbling, so at the end of that handoff, they were in sixth place. If you know anything about the 400-meter relay, a 400-meter uh, one lap around the track is, if you're, if you're behind by 50 meters, you're done. There's no way you're going to catch up. It's only one lap. And the person didn't already run three laps. This person is completely fresh. So the USC is in sixth place. They're far behind. And when they come around the corner, the last corner, the announcers say there's no way they're going to come back. There's no way anyone's going to catch the Purdue girl. There's no way she's going to lose. Then all of a sudden, this girl from USC just, she turns it on to this other, this other gear. And she just starts going. And, she, and they go, uh-oh, here she comes, here she comes. Here. And at the end, at the, real, at the right end, she passes the girl Purdue. And she wins the race. You can tell she would care less who was behind her at that point. All that she cared about was winning and beating the girl in front of her. And it helps me kind of think what Paul was like. I mean, he was like this girl in that last hundred meters. She's like, I've got, to, I've got to find some speed and get past this girl. And the girl was, in, was running for Purdue. She probably was, was like, oh, no, I, I know where that girl is. She's too far behind me. There's no way she's going to catch me. She starts slowing down and easing through the finish line while the girl from USC just passed her right at the end. And that helped me understand kind of what Paul's talking about, this single pursuit. He's pressing towards this goal in verse 14, this prize. And what is this prize? Well, if you go back to chapter 3 and you go back from 8 to 11, in that passage, I'm going to go back and read it here. It says, more than that, I also consider everything to be lost in view of surrendering value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So his ultimate prize was knowing Christ Jesus fully. That was his goal. That was his single pursuit, knowing Christ Jesus, kind of like the parable in Matthew 13, verse 44, the treasure in the field. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He can care less about what's behind him. All that he cares about is owning the field. And so he's going to sell everything he owns to own the field. Paul could care less about what he had. He considered all lost and all rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ. That was the value of the prize, of knowing Christ Jesus fully. 
And I think as we, as we think about that, we, do we see Jesus as that valuable? Do we see him as a treasure, as a prize? That we forget everything that's beside us and everything that's behind us and we only pursue knowing Christ fully. That's what Paul was pursuing with all of his effort and with all of his, his mind and his heart. This upward calling of God, this calling of salvation, you've been born again from above. This is the work of God by Jesus Christ. You've been saved by grace, not by your works. You've been called from heaven by God, like an athlete accepting a prize from the king or the queen, right? The king or the queen has summoned you. I have a prize to give you. Come up. I've called you. God has called you to take a possession of this prize. And the prize is not money. It's not some possession. It's not the perfect life. It's knowing Christ, Jesus. Fully and to be in perfect fellowship with him. Being in perfect fellowship with Christ is that valuable. This is Paul's aim, to know Jesus, to be fully in Christ. He hasn't achieved it yet, but he presses forward with all his energy and his focus to know Christ, and he suffers the loss of all things. The investment is, 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 is not something that is worth, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know, it seems like it's just too costly. I don't know if it's worth it. I should probably save some money. I, mean, I should probably save some time. I probably should, should hold back a little. Paul's like, no, 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 no. Strive, stretch out. Pursue the things ahead of you. Pursue the upward calling. Pursue the, the, gift, the goal of the prize of the upward calling of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, let those who mature think this way in verse 15. Maturity encourages readers to pursue the same goal. That's what he's encouraging them. He says, let those who are mature think this way. Have this attitude. And he wants to cheer on their progress. He wants them to be pursuing this goal. Maturity. One who is wholly turned to God. One who's bound himself fully to God. Those who are in accordance with God's will. Those who mature spiritually. He wishes that they all to be mature and be characterized with the same Christ-centered ambition. That my ambition in life is Christ. And he hopes and he wants all of them to pursue this like him. 1 Thessalonians 2.11 For you know how like a father with his children we exhort each one of you to encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He wants them all to have this same attitude. He could care less what house they owned. He could care less what chariot they owned. He could care less what job they had. All that Paul cared about was that they walked in a manner worthy of God, that they pursued Christ alone, that they saw Christ as a true prize of life. That's all he cared about. He wants them all to have the same attitude. He wants them to run hard to the finish for the prize of Christ Jesus. God's revelation and sanctifying work. He even says, if you don't have this maturity, if you're not thinking this way, ask God and God will reveal this to you. He will give you this truth. He will give you this attitude. Paul says in Ephesians 1.17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of our glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. God wants to give this to us. He desires to give this to us. To have this ambition, to have this pursuit. 
1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God wants you to pursue Christ. He wants you to know Christ fully. This is not some secret. This isn't some mystery. This isn't some secret prize that you don't know how to obtain. God wants to give this to you. And Paul wants you to have that that pursuit and that focus. And this is a common direction of the church. He says in verse 16 that we obtain this, that we, we obtain this truth. Is that something that Paul only wants? He wants this as a, the common direction of the entire church. That we move forward together, that everyone pursues the same goal, that we literally stand in line and march together to the same drum, to the same rule, to the same ambition, to the same pursuit. Like we're literally soldiers in a company together marching in the same direction to obtain the same prize. Together, in faith together, and then working together in faith. To stretch and pursue this ambitious goal. And so Paul wants to create this legacy. This is point number two. To to join this legacy of faith. And he starts saying in verse 17 that he wants them to join in imitating him. Join in imitating him in verse 17. He wants them, again, he wants them to, uh, he wants them to emulate his example. He wants to, them to follow a pursuit of knowing Christ above all else. He doesn't want them to be little Pauls, right? He doesn't want them to do everything that he does and everything that he says. He wants them to emulate this pursuit, this single ambition. He even says, watch closely those who walk according to the example you have in us. He says, watch closely, mark these Groups of people that are following in this example. I think of Timothy, who followed Paul. And, and Timothy is mentioned in Philippians 1.1. Follow Timothy, and Timothy follows me. Follow these models. Follow these models that pursue Christ above all else. Look for these types of people to, to be friends with, and to follow, and to be discipled by. Follow these people. Watch closely for these people. If you're in a new environment, new city, new church, new university, look for people that model this pursuit. That's what Paul is basically saying. But even says, beware of those who walk as enemies of the Christ of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their mission, their goal is literally destruction. Why would you want to follow people whose end and goal and and mission is destruction? Why would you want to follow those people? Why wouldn't you want to follow the people who are pursuing Christ? He says that their God is their appetite. Basically, he says their bellies. Their appetite is their God. Their wants, their materialism, their favorable circumstances, their own betterment is their God. It says their glory, their boasting and their liberty and their freedom is their own shame. It leads to shame. Their boasting and what they pursue leads to shame. Why would you want to follow those examples? You know, some of you are sports fans, you don't know Johnny Football or Johnny Manziel. 
who's a great football player in college for Texas A&M, great quarterback, won Heisman Trophy, got drafted in the first round by the Cleveland Browns, which is like basically the, the, the death sentence if you get drafted by the Browns. Um, but he, he immediately became an issue off the field. He, he got into drinking, drugs, uh, partying, and just wasn't a good student of his job. And his desire for pleasure and fame led to shame, and it led to destruction. His appetites. And so he's a great model of what not to follow. Why would you were a quarterback and you wanted to be successful in the NFL, would you ever want to follow the model of Johnny Football? Like, I want to be a great football player, so I'm going to take Johnny Football as my example. I'm going to follow him, which he's now out of the league. He doesn't play in the NFL anymore. So why would you want to follow that, that, that mission to destruction? The mission is, their mission is earthly things. It's, they set the wrong example. They build the wrong legacies. And I think, again, going back to what I started with in the beginning, the, the issue is, is that in America with Christianity and the church, we have really bad examples. And so we follow these bad examples. And what they do, they lead to shame, they lead to destruction. Their God is actually appetized. Their focus is only on earthly things. And truth, this is, you know, if this is one of you, then I, I guess I'm calling you out on it. If, you, if your truth comes from Fox News, that's the wrong place it needs to come from. Okay? And too many Christians in America get their truth from Fox News and not from the Bible. And that is a bad example. And it creates problems. It creates destruction. We associate the gospel of Jesus Christ with things that all, have nothing to do with Christ. Beth Moore said, when we sell our souls to buy or win... A lot of Christians and a lot of churches in America have sold their souls to win. They've sold their souls to destruction. They've sold their souls to appetites. They've sold their souls to earthly things. They've sold their souls to shame. We've put some things above all else. We've put political identity above else. We've put other things above all else. We've not put Christ above all else. Basically, Christianity in America is just one interest group among many, scrambling for benefits at the expense of others and forsaken to seek the welfare of the whole, and we're full of fear for losing a way of life that is old and passing away. We are not setting good examples of what a Christian should be like. Instead, we're setting examples that are bad models to follow, bad legacies to follow. Christ-like identity that lived off the golden rule is what we should be setting, sharing in his suffering, being united in his death, putting others before ourselves, speaking the truth of God's redemptive work through Jesus Christ for your soul, and hence why Paul was so dedicated to obtain the prize of knowing Christ. Not for fame, not for power, but the pursuit of Christ. What does Paul say towards the end here, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven so we eagerly await Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and Lord, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, according to the power to enable him even to subject all things to himself. We're citizens of heaven. Therefore, the things that we do, the things that we say, the things that we focus our life doing should be the things from heaven, not the things from earth. And we eagerly await the coming of Christ. Therefore, if we eagerly await in Christ, we do the things that bring him praise and honor. We do the things that are thinking about him. We do the things that come from the throne of God. We don't do the things that are from this earth and from this world. The trajectory of our redeemed life, and Paul talks about this in this chapter. 
What is the trajectory of the Christian life? What is the trajectory of the spiritual mature life? It is counting all things as lost for the sake of Christ. When you get to that point, when you literally say that, you're like, you know what? Nothing else matters except Christ Jesus alone. Surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, that his worth is surpassing all things of this world. The righteousness of God that depends on faith, that, that I, am, I am dependent on my faith, that I know that I am righteous before God, that is the trajectory of my redeemed life, that I am going to experience the power of his resurrection, and that we will attain the resurrection from the dead, that is the trajectory of my redeemed life. That is the legacy that we want to set here. A legacy of faith that says, my life is nothing without knowing Jesus Christ alone. That Jesus is surpassing it, his worth is surpassing anything this world has to offer. That if all that I have is the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, then I am good and wealthy and rich. That the trajectory of my life, if I am to die here, brutal death, I know that there will be a resurrection of my death. There will be a resurrection of the dead. And so, some of y'all, this is the first time you've ever come to Redeemer, and what we want to do here, while we exist, is to leave a legacy of faith. That we, as a church, are pursuing what Paul's talking about here. We're pursuing knowing Christ fully. And what does that look like in a little Evansville church? What is the goal here? What, what is the mission here? Is the mission to, to become a big and successful church where our, our music is being sold on CDs and that the preaching is being listened to by thousands of people and that books are being produced or whatever all that other things is? That's not the goal here. The goal is to be a faithful church in Evansville on the west side. To be a faithful church that is pursuing Christ together. That's the only mission we have. Too often the church is a church with a target and with a method, right? A church that's looking for the homogeneous principle. We want to get all the white people and all the white-collar people together in church. That's what our goal is. Because with white people and, and, and white-collar people, there's more money. With more money, there's more things we can do for God. That is a church with a method. That's a church with a target, that we use market analysis, that we use individual wants, that we try to make you happy, that we try to, cons- we try to, we try to meet your consumption or what you want as a consumer. That literally we just become like a parachurch ministry and all our pursuit is this one method. That our worship style is all that we care about. That we want to have a worship style that everyone will find great and awesome and encouraging. And that's what we will pursue. That's church with a target and with a method. We are a church within a neighborhood. We are a church with fellow followers of Christ. And we're a church that will be faithfully present here. That we will show people on this side of town who Christ is, and show what it means to be a part of a body of believers who are pursuing Christ together. That is the only mission we have here. To leave a legacy of faith by engaging people, by loving them, and engaging our culture to the glory of God. That's the only mission we have. And we want you, I know some of you are new, you're looking for churches, and we are so happy that you're here, and you're probably going to check out other churches, and we think that's great. But we are a church, we are a parish, 
going to use that term, we are a parish. We are right here in this area, in this community, next to that university, next to that road, next to these homes, next to that elementary school, next to that middle school over there. This is where we are, and we are going to show Christ to the people in this area at the best that we can and show what it means to pursue Christ alone. That's the only thing we want, because Paul says that's the prize. Why would we pursue anything else but that prize? Everything else is a distraction. Everything else should be pushed behind us, and we should stretch forward to the prize ahead. And that is the mission of Redeemer Fellowship Church. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for what it tells us. Too often we get distracted. We get confused about what we should be doing as a church. We should have the best music in town, the best bulletins in town, the best coffee in town, the best this and that. Lord, that is not what you call us to do. Lord, you call us to pursue the prize, the goal of the prize that we're calling the Lord Jesus Christ. And that prize is to know Christ fully, to consider all things as rubbish and lost, but that the only focus is knowing Christ fully. Lord, I pray that you would accomplish that mission here, that we would leave a legacy of faith, that we leave good examples for children and students to follow. That when people see what it means to be a husband or a wife or a father or a mother, they would see someone who's pursuing Christ fully in those roles. And they see someone who's working a 40-hour-a-week job, and like, what does, it, what does it look like to be a Christian in that environment? And they see someone pursuing knowing Christ fully. That is the goal. We want to leave a legacy of faith. That's not that's not concerned about things that are rubbish. We're not concerned about things that are, that are garbage. We don't, want to, we don't want to leave bad examples. We don't want to leave uh, examples that show us to be enemies of the cross of Christ. We don't want to leave examples, Lord, that at the end of our destruction, we don't want to leave examples, Lord, whose, whose God is our appetite, who, um, who our, uh, our boasting and our pride and our glory is our shame, who our focus is on earthly things. We do not want to have that mission, Lord. We don't want to leave that legacy. Please do not lead us in that direction, Lord. Keep us focused on Christ and pursuing Christ above all others. Lord, if there's anyone here who has never accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, Lord, as we take communion in a moment, Lord, I ask, Lord, that you would lead them to your throne, that your spirit would save them, that they would see Christ Jesus as precious and the greatest treasure in this entire world, knowing Christ and knowing fully. Lord, for those who don't have churches, they're kind of going to different churches, Lord, thank you for bringing them here. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would send them to the church, Lord, that you will use them, not just to be casual observers, casual goers, that they would be members of churches, givers to churches, servants of the church. Lord, I pray you would bring those to this church body as well. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.